does bring good out of bad. All right, First John chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. That which was from the beginning, which we heard, have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the father and was made manifest to us that which we have seen and heard. We proclaim also to you so that you, too, may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. From this passage, there are four things I want to say about Christmas. And the first is Christmas is doctrinal. Christmas is doctrinal. Now, I know in some circles, doctrine just is a negative word, but I'm using it here on purpose. Doctrine or dogma. To some, it connotes narrowness, rigidity, or closed-mindedness. Someone's doctrinaire or dogmatic. We just think of those as bad things. They're narrow-minded. They won't listen to other viewpoints. They always think they're right. And so in our culture, we fear being labeled dogmatic or doctrinaire. And as a result, we've lost truth. The fact is that everyone is doctrinaire because a doctrine is a belief that you base your life on, a truth you contend for, a faith position, something that you hope others will believe like you believe. And so you promote it, you teach it. And now, while we don't always like dogmatic people, we usually respect someone for their convictions. What doctrine do we believe and contend for? The incarnation. I know that's a big word, but it really comes from in and carnal in flesh, in the flesh, God in the flesh. That's the truth we're contending for, says John in verses one through four. John one one. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And the word was God. And here, John says, that which was from the beginning, the word of life, his son, Jesus Christ, God appeared in the flesh. That's the doctrine we Christians believe. I want to share a hypothetical conversation with you between Mr. A, who is a Christian, and Mr. B, who is not. Mr. A says I wish that you would believe in Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Let me try and convince you. Mr. B responds, no one can know anything about God. You shouldn't try and persuade others. So when Mr. B says you can't know anything about God, isn't that a faith position? He can't prove that scientifically or in any way. It's just his belief, his faith position. And isn't he trying to convince Mr. A to think just like him, 
that there is no absolute truth. The very thing he forbids, he does. He's trying to convince Mr. A to be relativistic like him. Mr. A and Mr. B are both doctrinaire. They both have faith positions that they live by. And Mr. B is actually betting his eternal destiny on the fact that God is unknowable if he exists at all. The only difference between them is Mr. A is openly doctrinal. He does try and convince others to believe like him, while Mr. B just lives in denial. We shouldn't avoid being doctrinal or dogmatic, if you will. Be bold in your Christian witness. Everyone believes something about God, eternity and mortality. We bet our lives on it, these beliefs, and we press for them. You can't avoid being doctrinal. Christmas is doctrinal. It proclaims that the visible, the invisible became visible. The incorporeal became corporal. That God became human. The absolute became particular. The ideal became real. The divine took on human nature. And this doctrine is unique among the religions of the world. The Buddhist or Hindu would say God is imminent. There's a divine spark in everything, in that tree, in that cow, in you. In fact, you're a God. They would deny that Jesus only is the God man. Modern Judaism and Islam would say God is too transcendent to be a man. God is removed from the human struggle. To say that Jesus alone is the God-man is blasphemous to them. Christianity is unique. It doesn't say that the incarnation is normal or common. That it has occurred once in history in the person of Jesus. Christianity is unique in holding this doctrine, which sets it apart from every other religion, which we Christians boldly proclaim. We Christians are doctrinal and Christmas is doctrinal. Here's a second point from this passage. Christmas is historical. Christmas is historical. John says, we saw, we heard, we touched. He mentions three of his senses. The ultimate beginning invaded time and space. God wanted to reveal himself to people, so he appeared in a particular time and place. Galatians 4.4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. God stepped into history. It's historical. Now, there are people who say the accounts of Jesus' miracles are just myths and fables. Jesus walked on water. Jesus fed the 5,000 men, plus women and children, with five loaves and two fishes. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. We believe this. But the critics say, that's impossible. That can't be historical. Those are just stories that teach religious truths. There are many myths and legends about the gods, and this is just one more. Well, John contradicts that clearly in what he says in this text. He says, we saw him do the miracles. 
We heard him teach. We felt his arm. He was a real person. We ate and drank with him. We were there. John is arguing against a heresy that was creeping into the early church, certainly by the time of John, called Gnosticism. From the Greek word gnosis, which means to know. These Gnostics or knowing ones said, we alone have the secret knowledge of the mysteries, so we alone can reveal it to you. They believed, the Gnostics of the first century and second and beyond, that God can't be a human. That would taint him. He would no longer be God. So Jesus Christ is not God. Today, modern day Gnostics, I think, would add Jesus didn't die for our sins on the cross because there is no sin. There is no hell. Everyone is good. Everyone's a God. John says the doctrine we proclaim to you is historical. It's not just a philosophy. It's not just an idea in our heads. It's true. It's real. It happened. There was a wooden manger. There was a wooden cross. There was a real tomb and a stone in front of it. He really died. He really rose again. We saw him with our own eyes alive. It's not a legend, a myth or a fairy tale that we're making up. We didn't make this up. It really happened. Ancient myths are quite different. John writes in his gospel that Jesus walked on the water. And he says, we rode about three miles out into the lake. He names the lake. He tells you what time of night this all happened. And he even gives you information about their emotional state. Lots of details. In his gospel, he talks about one of the resurrection appearances of Jesus, that they were out fishing and they caught 153 fish. Details. When he talks about Jesus turning the water into wine, he mentions how many pots there were. Details. But Homer, writing in the Iliad and the Odyssey, didn't say that Achilles fought Hector exactly three and a half miles from Troy. It didn't matter. Details aren't important in the storyline of a myth. But details are extremely important in historical events. And John is saying this is history. I was an eyewitness. I was there. I saw it. So I wrote down the stuff I remembered. He's stressing here that this is historical. And if the stories in the Gospels about the life of Jesus were just myths and fables, they're really stupid ones because they were written during the lives of people who were still there. They could just simply refute it. Paul said, 500 people were alive and saw Jesus risen from the dead all at once. Well, many of the contemporaries were alive, too. They could refute that and say, look, here's the body. We went to the tomb and we dug out the, the rotting corpse. And here it is. That's all a lie. That would have shut up the Christians really fast. Christianity wouldn't have lasted. It would have never gotten off the ground. But it did get off the ground because it's true. It's historical. It really happened. The stories concerning Jesus were never proven false, never contradicted, never refuted, but they were rejected. We have some examples in John 11:47 and 48. 
And then in John 12, 37, it says, so the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away our place in our nation. Romans or, or John twelve thirty seven. though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So John is making a clear point here. Christmas is all about Jesus, who was a historical person. He really lived and really died. He really healed that person on this particular day. He really preached the Sermon on the Mount. We didn't just make that up and write those good teachings. He really died on the cross outside Jerusalem. He really rose from the dead. But someone today might say to you, if you're telling them that, don't be so dogmatic. It doesn't really matter if that stuff happened or not. What's important is those stories make people feel really good about their lives. It doesn't matter if it's historical or not. Just be like Jesus. He's a good example for us. The person who says this is also being dogmatic. And they believe in salvation by works. Just be a good person. Do good deeds. Be tolerant and accepting of every lifestyle practice. All religions are really basically the same. They all have the same God. Just call him a different name. It doesn't really matter if Jesus is God or not. He was a good man and a good teacher. Just follow his teaching. And to that, you as a Christian have to say no. Because it leads me to think I'm saved by my own efforts. I'm not sinful. God won't send me to hell for rejecting Jesus. And that is very dangerous. It's Gnosticism. Christmas isn't about a good man who said good things to really good people. It's about the fact that God came. He became a man. He lived and died for our sins so that we could know God. And when we trust in him, he gives us the free gift of eternal life. We're saved by his grace alone. If Jesus's life, death and resurrection aren't historical, then you're just being a religious person and you're trying to save yourself by your own works. Here's a third thing about Christmas from this passage. Christmas is mystical. Christmas is mystical. And I have to admit, I'm a little afraid of that word. Because it almost seems like it's the opposite of historical. But it's not. John uses the word in this text, eternal life. Well, that sounds mystical to me. Uh, you can't buy that. You can't manufacture it in a lab. He says in this passage, our fellowship is with the Father. Well, that's certainly mystical. That's a deep, hard-to-explain relationship with God and other Christians that's only possible because of Jesus. Fellowship is a great Greek word. Koinonia means to participate in or sharing in. It's participating in the life of God through faith because Christmas is true and historical. God isn't an idea or a force. He's a person that you can know and have fellowship with. 
You can know him personally. He's graspable. Because God came in the flesh, we can grasp what God is like better. He's a human like us. He became a baby like us. We've all seen babies. We were all a baby once. So we can relate to Jesus because he was a baby. He cried and wet his diaper. He got hungry and thirsty like us. He wept. He got angry. People hated him. They killed him. He had the total human experience so we can know him and God. And that makes Christianity so much more personal than Islam with its cruel, unreachable God. God also sent the third member of the divine trinity to help us know Jesus better because the Holy Spirit lives inside us. He lives in our hearts. And that's mystical, too. The Holy Spirit makes Jesus real to you. He helps you understand God more. Listen to what John says in 1426 of his gospel. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So Christmas is God's invitation to you to know him personally. He's come near. He doesn't want to be just an idea or a religion or a concept to you. He wants to be your friend. And having a relationship with God then helps you have relationships with other people at a deeper level. I remember as a a non-Christian before I got saved. Having, I thought, such a deep bond with my fellow football players on our high school team because we went through two a days together in the hot, boiling sun, just kind of enduring it. But we were a team. And then I remember as a Christian having a deep bond with my fellow seminary Greek students of trying to learn a year's worth of Greek in 10 weeks. And just that experience that we shared together made us really close. But even at a deeper level, I think of soldiers in war times bonding with their fellow soldiers, their brothers, and you never leave a brother behind. But even beyond that is marriage, the closest relationship that you can have on earth that Paul compares it to the mystical union of you and Christ. Christ is with you. Christ is in you. That is the deepest relationship possible. But deep fellowship with other Christians is also possible because we share that union with Christ. They are truly our brothers and sisters. And the last point about this text I want to make is Christmas is emotional. Christmas is emotional. People get emotional at Christmas. Maybe you were emotional yesterday. You can be emotional in a bad way, right? That you lost a loved one. And so Christmas is hard. It's sad. Maybe you feel lonely. Or others. Man, Christmas is the happiest time of year. Gifts and Christmas trees and lights and toys and cookies and eggnog and fruitcake and 
all the other stuff of Christmas just makes it nostalgic and we have such fond memories maybe of our youth and Christmas time. But that's not the emotion I'm talking about. I mean joy. And joy isn't based on circumstances. John isn't saying here, you all need to get it together so you can finally have some joy. He says, I already have joy and I want you to have joy. And I'm deriving joy from your joy. My dad was uh, with us for Christmas and that was so wonderful. Probably the last time my nearly 91 year old dad is going to be here in Virginia. But I I asked him, I said, I have this memory that you told me about something where we used to live. And and do you remember that way? And He says, oh, yeah, I remember that way. And he was telling me about this subterranean river that was below Masson, Ohio. He said they had the best water supply anywhere around because of this underground river. And he still remembers that as the case. And I think that's a little bit like joy. It's a subterranean river. You know, on the surface, it could be a drought, but underneath there's still lots of water. If you drill down deep enough, you're going to find it. And that's what joy is like on the surface of your life as you're living it out. Man, things can really stink. It can be really hard. But you know what? If you drill down there on the inside of you, there's that river and you can tap into the joy of the Lord. Christmas is the subterranean river of joy that you can experience year round. So are you experiencing it? Maybe you've heard about the missionaries. They were Amish and Mennonite missionaries that were released. They were held captive in Haiti. Maybe you heard about them being captured. Well, they've been released December 17th. I think it was there. Maybe it's the 15th. They escaped from their captors and they, they were interviewed and they talked about what kept you guys going. And they said, oh, we sang a lot and we prayed a lot. And they sang the whole group of them were being interviewed. The whole group of them were standing up and they were singing a song from Psalm 34 about the Lord and camps around those who fear him. And they were singing. And as I looked at them, I thought they don't look very joyful. And I thought, oh, you think they'd be smiling and building it out. And they were just very prim and proper and standing there singing it. But then I realized, no, they they had joy while they were in captivity and they had joy now. Maybe they weren't the most expressive outward people, but they had a deep reservoir within the joy of the Lord is their strength that kept them going. Let me read a poem and I'm about to close here from Joseph Bailey entitled Praise God for Christmas. Praise him for the incarnation, for the word made flesh. I will not sing of shepherds watching flocks on frosty nights or angel choirsters. I will not sing of a stable bear in Bethlehem or lowing oxen, wise men trailing star with gold, frankincense and myrrh. Tonight, I will sing praise to the father who stood on heaven's threshold and said farewell to his son As he stepped across the stars to Bethlehem and Jerusalem. And I will sing praise to the infinite eternal son who became most finite. A baby who would one day be executed for my crime. Praise him in the heavens. Praise him in the stable. Praise him in my heart.
And if you don't have that Christmas joy this morning, you can have it. But just say, Jesus, come into my heart. Be born anew in me. And if you have it, you're certainly going to want to share it with others. Who can you share it with? Be thinking about who in this coming year can I really share my faith with? I've been trying to live it out, but I need to share it. I need to express it. Let them know what I really believe and think about Jesus Christ. You might invite someone to church, but better yet, invite them to Jesus. Heavenly Father, again, like Joseph Bailey, I am so glad that you sent Jesus to us, that God, the second member of the divine trinity, became one of us, a human being, so that we might come to you and we might know what you're like, a good, good father. And thank you that you sent him away from heaven down to us and that he came and he lived and he died and he rose from the dead. And he's now with you ascended to heaven by your throne where he ever lives to make intercession for us. Thank you for the gift of your son this Christmas. We celebrate that. We praise that. And our faith and belief is in him and now empower us to live out. That faith before others in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's